Vasudevasutam devam tansu januramardanam devaki paramarandam krishnam vannev jagat guram Hi and welcome to Gita Girl. My name is Sharmila and the Gita Girl podcast is about how to live skillfully and be your best self by using the advice in the Bhagavad Gita. Jessie Krishna, Jessie Krishna. My name is Shayla. Today's podcast is something that I think we are all probably very familiar with and it's all the excuses that we come up with to convince ourselves not to do the thing that we know is the right thing to do. As we know, the whole Gita is a conversation between Arjun and Lord Krishna. Arjun is facing the battle of his life. He is the upholder of truth, justice, righteousness, and it's his duty, it's his dharma to wage war against his evil cousins, but he doesn't want to. So, he actually goes through all the excuses that we tell ourselves in order to convince ourselves not to do what we've got to do. Before we do this podcast, Sharmila and I write notes down. I was looking at my notes and it shows chapter 1 verse 31, verse 33, verse 35, verse 3 and it goes on and on with just excuse after excuse that Arjun has for reasons he doesn't want to fight his family. And all of those excuses are all the excuses that we come up with. I don't want to confront my family. I don't want to stand up to my friends. I don't want to get involved because it will ruin my karma. I don't want to get involved because I don't feel like it. What will I get out of standing up to this issue? These are all the excuses that Arjun is coming up with when he is trying to avoid fighting his family, but it's the same internal dialogue that all of us have when we are dealing with common and not so common challenges in our lives every day. The Gita once again is in my brain and is going through every excuse that I come up with and I know other folks come up with to sort of take the easy way out. We're going to be talking about all of them throughout the podcast, but they're just going to ring so familiar. And I want to say before this podcast I shared all of these verses with my kids and my family. We all sat down over dinner and it was a great conversation because I think from elementary school to grandparents everyone is dealing with these issues in their own way and we're all avoiding difficult situations and difficult conversations and it's never too late to learn the skills of when to confront somebody and why it's important to do so and we'll be talking about that but it's definitely generated a lot of really great conversation in my house and I hope that it generates conversation in all of yours Swami Sachidananda puts it so beautifully He says it's good to know the symptoms which we too may face in similar situations and even when we try to overcome our own undesirable habits see how the mind immediately finds excuses excuses and more excuses Okay let's delve into it what are the excuses Arjun and we come up with to convince ourselves not to do what we've got to do. Let's do this. The first excuse that Arjun and we come up with is I don't see any good in addressing this. Things are fine as they are. 
I can deal with things as they are. They're not great, but it's fine. I can deal with it. So that is the first excuse. And in my experience, things escalate unless they're addressed. Things always get worse if you just shove them under the rug and hope it'll disappear. It never disappears. If somebody upsets you and you think that it's not worth it to get into it right then, all it does is it's like a layer of bricks. And then the next time they piss you off, there's another layer of bricks added to that. That first layer never goes away. And then things just fester and they get added on and you never deal with it. And the issue just gets compounded. We tell ourselves that things will go away if we don't deal with it. But I think we can all think of examples of times that we have hoped that an issue would resolve itself by not talking about it. And when has that ever been the reality? Never. I know three people who are very close to me who didn't address things with their siblings and they let it fester for years and years and years, decades even. They just didn't address it, didn't address it. And lo and behold, one day their sibling crossed the line that can never be crossed, whether it's stealing money or picking on your kids or picking on your spouse. One fine day, the sibling did one of those things. And in all three cases, now they have no relationship with their siblings because the line was crossed. They had never set up the boundary to begin with, right? And so the line was never defined, though stealing, that's a pretty hard and fast line that you shouldn't have to draw. But, you know, know. that that seems pretty cut and dry. Don't pick on my spouse. Don't pick on my kids. Don't steal my money. You would think those were... You know, no brainers, no brainers, but guess what? Unfortunately, you give somebody enough rope and they hang themselves, right? That's a hundred percent. And sometimes you're shocked that they behave that way. And you think, oh, this is an anomaly or they didn't really mean to say that to me. And you just kind of put it in the back of your head. Then they feel like they have permission to do that again. And honestly, you can't really blame them because you never confronted them and said what they did was wrong or that they hurt you. Things escalate unless they're addressed. And if the relationship is true and trusting, you can call someone out and they'll understand it comes from a good place. The only reason why you don't call it out in a relationship is because you don't trust the relationship. That's right. And you can clear up misunderstandings right away. They don't fester. You don't have to second guess what somebody's intention was or what do they mean. Do the homework with your relationship early on. Yeah. And it's not just relationships. It's anything. It's dealing with a debt issue. It's dealing with weight loss. The sooner you nip it in the bud, the better. It's much easier to lose five pounds than it is to lose 50. Oh, 100%. As I was talking about, we discussed this over dinner with my family and it was multi-generational folks there. And everybody had a story for this. My daughter was talking about a time where she didn't stand up for herself when one of her friends hurt her feelings because she didn't want to ruin the relationship. She didn't want to upset her friend and have a difficult conversation. Like it was much easier for her to kind of swallow that hurt and cry about it later than it was to confront her friend, but it damaged the relationship. And when she was sharing that story, almost everyone had an example of a time where 
a friend had said something that was hurtful, maybe even in jest. You know, a lot of times it was unintentional. And sometimes, especially when it's in jest, you feel uncomfortable saying something about it, right? You're like, oh, they're just joking. I want to make a big deal out of it. Um, Even though it's hurtful and you've given them permission maybe to do it again. Or you've also kind of hurt the relationship because you didn't trust them enough to say something about it at the time. You didn't trust your friendship was strong enough for you to stand up for yourself. And standing up for yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you're against them. It just means that you're just clarifying a misunderstanding or you're saying that really hurt my feelings. And that builds trust. That gives the person the opportunity to say something um, to you if you hurt them. And it just makes your relationship richer. But it's also about standing up for yourself broadly, irrelevant of what the consequence might be. It's just a good lesson to always stand up for yourself, particularly when somebody hurts you. It's not just standing up for yourself. It's standing up for what is morally right. That's true. The second excuse that Arjun and we use is they're too close to me and we are too enmeshed for me to stand up and say or do something. And just looking at it here in my notes, they are too close to me and we are too enmeshed for me to stand up and do something. It's actually completely illogical. If you truly cared, loved, and were close to someone, you would want to address the issue. For example, with our kids, if our children do something that we feel is morally wrong, what's the first thing we do? We say, no, this is unacceptable because we want to help them evolve and improve their behavior. That's right. And we know that's our job. Right. But if we don't do that, whoever we're dealing with, we love them less, we care about their well-being less, or maybe we don't trust that they'll take it in the right way. So the enmeshment, the attachment to that person actually gets in the way of logic, which is if I truly love them, whoever it is, family, friend, coworker, anybody, if I truly cared for them and their well-being, I would say something. But it's because we don't care enough that we're not going to. Or we're scared it won't be taken the right way. I'll give you an example. I had some younger family members a few years ago. They were doing something which I believe is called trolling. They were looking at their friends' Instagrams and they were making okay. mean, mean comments about their friends' Instagrams. Okay. You mean, were they writing no. comments? No, but they were saying, saying And these were their close yeah, friends. So hurtful. Wow. And they were saying it to me, like, oh my goodness, look at this girl. She's posting this. She wants to be an influencer, zooming in. But look how hairy her legs are. Oh, wow. yeah. Real mature. But because I was close to them and they're younger than me, the truth is I didn't want to seem uncool or holier than thou. I didn't say something. Right. I should have stood up. I should have said, huh, I don't see that. Or even walked away. Just something to indicate that I did not condone this behavior and I didn't. And there's a way to stand up for what is right. Right. We've we've talked about behaving sattvically and doing it with calm, with equanimity, without anger and without sort of finger wagging. More like, this is my opinion. This is what I think. I'm not sure this sits right with me. Right. Rather than you're wrong, I'm right. 
that's the end of the conversation. This comes up a lot with people, particularly when you're talking to different generations with different sort of attitudes and perceptions about race or gender, sexuality. And I think sometimes, particularly in our culture, when an older person says something, you don't stand up to them because we have this idea that you have to be respectful and respectful means being quiet, even if they say something that you consider wrong. And particularly if they're a family member, it becomes even more difficult. But I think finding a way to do it in a way that's not rude, but still let them know that what they said was wrong and explain why you think that and then leave it there. You don't have to like engage further if you don't want to. But I think standing up for what you think is right um, always feels good, but you have to do it in a way that you feel is respectful or doesn't have to be confrontational. And there's a difference between, I think this is wrong because, and you must agree with me and I'm imposing my views on you. Those are two different things. You can stand up for what you believe in without imposing and insisting on the other person. You can agree to disagree. I think we all have a lot of practice in this particularly politically polarizing climate over Thanksgiving and Diwali and the holiday meals. You've all heard difficult conversations or engaged in difficult conversations. So we have some practice. We can reflect on it. Mm-hmm. So the first excuse was, what good will it do to address this issue? What benefit will there be? I'm fine as things are. Um, the second excuse was, they're too close to me. And we are too close for me to stand up and do something. And the third excuse is, let them harm me, but I won't harm them. I'm going to rise above it. They don't know any better. We know better than them. So we should stay silent and suck it up and rise above it. Rise above it, darling. The amount of time I've heard that, rise above it. Let them be mean to you. You take the higher path. Even if they're harming me, I don't want to address this because it's a harm to them. And that is a complete perverted misinterpretation of the concept of ahimsa, nonviolence. Right. Let them be violent towards me, whether it's in their thoughts, words, or actions. But I will not be violent towards them because I believe in nonviolence. However, allowing violence to oneself is still a form of violence. You are committing a violence. You're just allowing it to yourself. So you're not practicing nonviolence at all. You're practicing self-harm. I'm going to allow myself to be hurt over and over and over. I'm not going to say anything. Still a violence. Oh, what an interesting way of looking at it. I can't say that I've ever thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. And it is true. It does hurt you. I think a lot of times we allow people to harm us and don't fight back because out of fear, we're scared of the consequence. And it's less about not wanting to cause them harm than it is about not wanting to cause ourselves more harm in that confrontation. And I think it's just about figuring out a safe way to confront them that feels okay for you, but still allows you to stand up for yourself. And it's tricky. It is tricky. Especially when you're talking about somebody more senior to you 
whether it's at work, whether it's in the family, whether it's in a friendship even, um, and when it's somebody you perceive as being more powerful, that's tough. It is tough. And there's also lots of grades of harm, right? There is like a verbal slight maybe to more extreme kinds of um, violence and each of it requires its own way of managing it and dealing with that issue. But I think the point is that it's important not to allow yourself to be put in a harmful situation over and over again, irrelevant of what that situation is and to help yourself or allow others to help you get out of that situation when possible. So that is excuse number three, let them harm me, but I won't harm them. Again, you're not practicing ahimsa nonviolence. You are practicing a form of violence by allowing any form of violence to yourself. Fourth, what about the negative karma I will incur by standing up to my near and dear ones? I've had this come up in my adult class, actually. Someone said to me, isn't standing up to your family in any way, shape or form a negative karma? And I was like, we have all been brainwashed with this. Exactly. That's what they want you to think. Yeah, from birth. You got to respect me. Don't you say that. Don't you even think that. You be quiet. I'm your elder. You owe me because I have birthed you and fed you and clothed you. So let's talk about this. Is it a negative karma to confront your family, your near and dear ones? Just the act of, hey, you're behaving this way or when you call me names, or when you yell at me in public, or when you berate me in front of my children, or when you dismiss me, or when you say mean comments to me, is the very act of saying that a negative karma? Absolutely not. Because as we just said, allowing people to hurt you is an act of self-harm, and that is committing a violence against yourself. And it's important to stand up for yourself. Again, we've all talked about it's the way you do things, right? Like if somebody says something rude to you, saying something rude back to them, being mean to them. Okay, it may feel good in the moment. Sure, maybe not the best for you karmically and maybe not going to get yourself out of this situation either. So it's definitely how you do it, but should you do it? Absolutely. And let's not forget, The whole of the Bhagavad Gita is Krishna convincing Arjun and getting him mentally prepared to do this very thing, to confront his family. It's not an easy thing, but it has to be done if that's your duty, if harm is being done to yourself or any other family member, you've got to do your duty. And Lord Krishna says in the Gita, choosing not to do something is still a choice. He says there's action in the choice to do an inaction. Does that make sense? Choosing not to do something right. is still an act. Yeah. Still a choice. It's still a choice and there's still a karmic burden or a karmic benefit attached to it, depending on the situation. And if you look away from a situation, let's think of an example, someone getting bullied. Like if you look away from that, that inaction was a choice and there's definitely a karmic consequence. Like you said, Shayla, there is a right and wrong way to go about this, but the very act 
of standing up against injustice itself with those close to us is not a negative karmic burden. We've been brainwashed to think it is, but that's not true. Quite the contrary. For example, with our children. I wouldn't stand for my kids bullying someone else. I would call them out. So why can I not call out my elders? I have a good example. I have a relative that constantly complains about other people and says rude things about people. And Oh, I have one of those. Constantly. (laughs) I mean, constantly. And she complains to everyone who will listen, like negative, mean comments about the choices they make and how they're not as spiritual as she is and how (laughs) they're raising their kids wrong and they don't keep their house as clean as she does and a million judgments and her kids who are so sick of listening to her just kind of nod their head or they'll put her on speakerphone and go about doing their business and just occasionally pop on and say, "Mm -hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. But what we realized is by that inaction, by not confronting her and talking to her about all the negative, really hurtful, cruel and mean things that she says about people by not doing that, you've given her permission to continue. You've condoned it. You've been complicit. You've condoned it. You've condoned it. You think that just sitting there, you're just letting this poor little lady say whatever she wants and you're not being rude to her. You're not confronting her. It's a kindness that you're doing to her, but you haven't done her any favors. You haven't done any favors to the people around her. And in fact, I, I think that you've contributed in some way to her negative behavior towards other people by never calling her out on it. Agreed. hundred percent. And now, honestly, it's like the boundary has never been set. And so she's like a runaway train at this point. Yeah, it's tough. So I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to try to rein her in, but... <laughs> Good luck. It's never too late. It's never too late. Yeah. (laughs) The next excuse Arjun says, which is kind of hilarious, but it's so true. He says, it does not behoove us, meaning it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate for me to deal with this issue with my family. Swami Chinmaya calls this a lunatic conclusion. That you're not supposed to, it's inappropriate to deal with issues within the family. It's called a lunatic conclusion really tells you, first of all, how he feels about this. You're a crazy person if you think that. Um, But I like the language. I mean, right there, give me permission. He's like, cut it out. Stop it. I mean, just because they're family doesn't mean you keep your mouth shut. It's the example that I just used. All you did by keeping your mouth shut was giving them permission to keep going on as they were before without any checks or balances. And in some cases, you're allowing them to harm you. We all have examples of people in our family who've said hurtful things to us and we just kind of grin and bear it. No, cut it out. I have a great example of inappropriate behavior. Not related to me. Finally, somebody's not related to me. <laughs> I have no genetic yeah. ties to you. Yeah. I have a family friend, again, an elder, who since the day I got married, I've been married 31 years now, would, you know when you kiss people hello, it's a very 
cheek to cheek kind of thing, like mwah, mwah, yeah, and it's an air kiss cheek. Exactly. This person, I'm not joking, puts his lips to my cheek and leaves like a spitball. Oh no! Yes, I oh, swear no. to God, I don't need to like take a shower during this podcast. <laughs> I <feel> dirty. <laughs> I swear to God. Okay. Oh, gross. Ugh. I can see him coming close to me and licking his lips. <laughs> it's like one of those horror movies when the person is coming slowly towards you. Donna, Donna, Donna. Yes. And I begged my in-laws, please, I have to say something to this uncle. Dude, like... And I have taken an informal poll of every woman I know who knows this guy and said, does he live a spitball? Somebody actually said to me, oh, my God, I had a huge zit at my wedding on my cheek in all the pictures. And it was his fault. He was licking me from the welcome dinner onwards. (laughs) Look at my cheek. Disgusting. So gross. Yes, so gross. And the amount of times my in-laws, I begged them, I'm going to say something. Even my husband was like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Because, oh, it's inappropriate. But why is it inappropriate? The lunatic conclusion of it was that he can lick my cheek and that's okay. But me saying it is inappropriate. And to this day, 31 years later, I have avoided him. I have stayed away from him. He probably thinks I hate him. I don't hate him. I just don't want his slimy saliva on my cheek. Of course not. He probably thinks I have some grudge against him. I kind of don't. And my kids walked me through it. My kids were literally like, Mom, this is what you're going to say. You're going to go up to him and say, listen, I love you. Don't love your kisses. Let's just say hi and be done with it. But my husband. I like this. I like this role playing. My husband convinced me not to. He was like, no, don't say anything. Just kind of avoid him. Run, run when you see him. Well, I mean, that is one way of, of doing things. But I like the idea of role playing and figuring out what you're going to say to this person and then taking it to like, what's the consequence? Like if he's like deeply offended, okay, well that's fine. But you've stood your ground and you've saved everybody else from having wet cheeks after he comes up to them. This is your seva. You've done a service to the community, but I think everybody knows I'm talking about the, the South Asian community here, but I think even in other communities, there's always the skeevy uncle. Yeah. There's the auntie that asks you inappropriate questions. When are you getting married? When are you having babies? What's your SAT score? And there are all these people that you avoid because they're inappropriate or they make a rude joke or they hug you for too long. Talk about the hugging for too long. How many uncles at the value at a wedding, when you're wearing a sari blouse, the amount of uncles who have put their dirty fingers around my bare waist congratulating me on a wedding or while wishing yes. me happy Diwali on a religious day. Linger a little too long on your naked skin. How many? A million percent. And everybody has that face popping into your head. But to your point, it's lunacy for us not to stand up for ourselves and you're standing up for others. I'm 51. Okay. And I'll squirm, I'll move away. But why can't I say, you know what? Can you remove your hand from my body, please? Why can't I say that? That's true, because we've been told to just, like, shut up and put up with it. You know, like, that's what we've been told. And I think the next generation is better. I'm also 51. Like, this next generation is 
is better, but that doesn't mean that we're too old to learn things and learn ways to stand up for ourselves. And like I said, I really like that your sons role played this with you. And that's a good skill. We want people to leave this with skills and that's a good one. Like role play with your relatives, role play with your friends. You all come up with a game plan about what you're going to do the next time somebody asks you a rude question at a party. If somebody gets a little too close, what you're going to say, just kind of think about it and come up with a couple of solutions and put them into work and share them with us. Let us know what you do because we need to build a community of people who can um, build each other up. So share with us on our Facebook page, (laughs) Get the Girl Podcast, or on our Instagram page, Get the Girl Podcast. Share your ideas. And it's interesting you say about a community, people who can build each other up. The reason why I finally took a stand, because I have two young nieces in London. And when I told them, They must have been teenagers. They were like, Didi, come on, you're so strong. I can't believe it. Didi, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I was like, I have to report to my two nieces. How can I look them in the eye and tell them that I flaked out on them? So I did it for them. And I literally came up to me one event and I pushed him away. I was like, no, I'm going to say hi to you from over here. It was kind of a botched effort at saying something. It was so... But you made the effort. You get credit for that. And, and then I told my nieces, and they were so proud of me. They were like, you go, Didi. We know you could do it. And now hopefully I've given them the strength to stand up when somebody's inappropriate with them. I, I really love that you said that because I think it's really true. Sometimes you don't want to do it because it makes you feel uncomfortable, but... I think when you're doing it for someone else, like we're capable of unbelievable and amazing things when we're doing it on behalf of our kids, right? Maybe that's the attitude you need to bring. Like you did it for your nieces. You're doing this for somebody else. And that makes it easier to stand up to something that's difficult. You're doing the right action for a good that's greater than you, which I think what Arjun was doing in this situation and what you were doing for your nieces and what can be a really powerful motivator. And it's in the Gita, of course, Lord Krishna says. Of course it is. Do everything for me. Lord Krishna says, do everything for me. Offer up all your actions to me. So I had the attitude, I'm doing this for my nieces. I could have also had the attitude, I'm doing this for Lord Krishna to make the world a better place for Lord Krishna. And when you do that, you've taken all of your uncomfortable feelings about it out of the equation. Now you're doing it for a higher purpose, higher power. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. So when your feelings, your uncertainties, I should say, are a little diminished when you're doing it for Krishna. Absolutely. Next excuse. I've lost count, but the next excuse. Okay. (laughs) Arjun says, what happiness will I get from standing up and doing this unpleasant task. What happiness will I get from it? I really love this question. I'm curious to hear what Gita has to say about it. Arjun's question is, what happiness will I get from doing this, from confronting my family? But later on in the Gita, Krishna explains to Arjun that your likes, your dislikes, your aversion to pain and your desire for pleasure, these things actually cloud our judgment and actually are obstacles on our path to doing our duty. Oftentimes, we do things that we don't like 
because it's our duty. And we do things that maybe give us pain because it's our duty. I'll give you an example. You have decided 2023 or 2024 is the year of my health. I'm going to get myself in shape. Then you're like, well, I really like eating a tub of ice cream, but I'm not going to do it because I need to get into shape. Similarly, working out is going to lead to some discomfort working out and even more pain tomorrow (laughs) when my muscles are sore. But just because you like something doesn't make it good. If I like a tub of ice cream, doesn't make it good. And just because I dislike working out doesn't make it bad. But in our mind, as Lord Krishna says, we run towards what we like, what gives us pleasure, and we run away from what we dislike and what gives us pain. But oftentimes, these are short-term gains for long-term problems. Right. If we can understand it's not about what we like or dislike, it's really about what is our duty in that moment. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm wondering if the focus, let's use the exercise example, because I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. You're right. Like I'm laying down as we're doing the podcast because my legs hurt from the workout I did this morning. <laughs> You're right. Like it's a pain for the time, but I wonder if the focus maybe should be on increased health and increased strength instead of just that exercise. And maybe that's the right way to focus. Well, Lord Krishna says, The focus should always be on what is my duty? What is the right thing to do here for me in this moment? Keeping myself healthy and keeping myself strong. Correct. Focus on that. Another example is going to the dentist. We all hate it. It's not particularly pleasurable, but it doesn't mean it's bad for us. It's actually good for us. Right. If you focus there again on your dental health, for example, in that particular situation, that's... You could focus on what is best for my health. You could focus on, I'm doing this for Lord Krishna. Or you could focus on the golden rule, what is my duty? What is my responsibility in this moment? Focusing on the likes, dislikes, pleasure, pain aspect clouds our judgment. In all these instances that we've talked about, all these conflicts and situations where we feel uncomfortable about standing up for the right thing. If you focus on your duty of standing up for what is right, speaking up against a bully, speaking up against an injustice, speaking up when there's somebody's causing you harm, speaking up when there's a misunderstanding you want to clear up. If you just focus on that as your duty, then you being uncomfortable about that confrontation kind of disappears. It no longer becomes a factor because you're like, I have to do this because it's the right thing to do. It's my duty to stand up in this situation and all the things in the positive box and the things in the negative box that you think about when you're trying to decide what to do, they kind of disappear. You're like, this is my duty. I don't have to worry about, am I going to make this person upset? You say it in a way that will make that less likely, but ultimately not your responsibility. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And your duty also differs based on your capabilities in the situation. If you see a guy, you know, waving a gun around, going into a convenience store, I don't know if you want to tackle him or just call 911. That's that's right. So many shades of gray. Correct. Exactly. Correct. So that deals with the excuse of what happiness will I get from this? Right. Next excuse. Brilliant. Love this one. Standing up and confronting this issue will destroy our family. Destroy it. Done. 
detonate. Yeah, we'll blow up our family. But the family's already being destroyed, eaten away by the malicious, destructive behavior that you're allowing by being complicit and not saying something. The family's already being destroyed. A hundred percent. Have you seen the movie Monsoon Wedding? Gosh, it's so old. Maybe like 30 years ago or something. (laughs) No, tell us. So there was an uncle who was abusing his niece. He was sexually abusing his niece. And she had kept quiet for for a long time. She was an adult. And then she saw the uncle repeating that behavior with a younger member of their family. And then she went and told one of her other relatives and everybody was shocked because this uncle is like the patriarch of the family. And they're like, what are we going to do? And then finally the person who she told, who she confessed to one of her other uncles was like, I have to do the right thing. And he stood up and went to that uncle who was the molester and said, I'm sorry, you've done a lot for this family, but you got to hit the road, man. You've caused too much harm. But I think to, to this exact point, obviously it's a movie, but in that story, the idea was that he had already caused so much damage to the family, right? right? And even though it was difficult for this uncle to stand up to the family, stand up to him, he's the patriarch. He had done a lot for everybody financially and otherwise, and it was difficult to stand up to him. He was like, this is my duty. My duty is to stand up for what is right. And my duty is to stand up for this niece who's like a daughter for me. And so I'm going to do it irrelevant of the consequences because it's the right thing to do. And to this exact point, the family was destroyed anyway. By not doing anything, it wasn't like he wasn't causing harm to the family because this person had already caused so much harm to the family. So, On the contrary, by standing up, he was saving the family. That's right. But people don't understand that. They think if you're going to address an issue, you're going to blow up the family. But if your family is that weak to begin with, if the relationship is that weak, that calling someone out for destructive, malicious behavior is going to destroy the family, then what kind of family was it? That's right. And then the last, well, it's not an excuse, really, but the last tactic we use and Arjun used to convince himself not to do the right thing is in all these verses, Arjun tries to convince his closest confidant and advisor, who is Krishna, he's trying to convince the wrong person, But Arjun tries to convince Krishna into seeing his point of view. And he keeps urging Lord Krishna to agree with him. Like, don't you think? Like, isn't this right? Isn't what I'm thinking right? And this is another tactic we use to convince ourselves not to do the right thing, is we find an echo chamber. We find someone who agrees with us. And then we find someone, anyone who's going to agree with us. And then we echo it to each other. And then we're like, okay, well, if you think it, then it must be right. All of us have that friend who will be the person who will just agree with you. Correct. Even if you're doing the wrong thing, they'll be like, you're right. And even when that person is agreeing with you, you still know it's not the right thing to do. You know what the right thing to do is. There's a word for them. Those people who just agree with you, even when you're going down the wrong path, they're called sycophants. Mm. They're just people who just... Enablers. Enablers. Enablers and sycophants, beware. Surround yourself with good people. Like you said, Shaila, build a community of people who are going to lift you up, not lead you astray. And who will tell you when you need to do the right thing and tell you when you're doing the wrong thing. And role play with you. Like we 
We're talking about how your sons did with you when you were trying to figure out how to confront that uncle. That's exactly what you need. Like somebody who will say, you need to confront this person or this is the right thing to do in the situation. And let's figure out how you're going to do it and to help you. That's the kind of person you want to surround yourself with. And listen, I've definitely confided and complained about situations to friends who I knew were just going to agree with me no matter what I said, because it felt really good to feel like you're on the right, even though I knew I wasn't. We all have those friends. Yeah. Dump them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not elevating you. I mean, I don't mean dump them. Who they're am not I, elevating you. Who am I yeah, to say dump yeah. who or whatever? I'm just saying yeah, yeah. they're not. Just maybe don't use them for this kind of situation. Exactly. Put them in a little compartment to go clubbing with. Yeah. I think I'm just going to say go dancing with yeah. them. Okay, so I think we've gone through all the excuses. And like you said, Shaley, earlier, what's brilliant is that everything in here is stuff I've told myself I mean, it's just unbelievable that this text was written 5,000 years ago, yet it's spot on. Unbelievable. It really is. And for those of you who are following along in your heat, that's chapter 1, verses 31 through 39. All of those verses are all these excuses we've talked about. It's every excuse you've ever given yourself for why you shouldn't do your duty or do the right thing, especially in difficult situations. I've said every single one of these to myself many times, but I think the important thing to learn and something that I'm going to continue to work on is if you focus just on your duty and what's the right thing to do and think about doing it for Lord Krishna, then it makes it easier to make those difficult decisions. You're walking into a situation sort of lit up from within and filled up with the conviction that you're doing the right thing. And even if the consequence is difficult, and oftentimes they are, right? Like sometimes standing up for yourself means the other person gets upset or the other person gets defensive. Even when that happens and you're dealing with that situation, you know that ultimately you've done the right thing. And it's not easy. None of this is easy, but it's still the right thing to do. It goes back to golden rule. Do your best and leave the rest. Leave the rest. As we mentioned, definitely let us know what you think of this episode and any suggestions you have for doing the right thing. And also if you need advice about a challenging situation, drop it into the chat on our Facebook page at Get the Girl Podcast. That's the handle on Instagram too, Get the Girl Podcast. Definitely come visit us. You can email us at Sharmila at GeetTheGirl.com and let us know if you have any questions, if you have ideas for other podcasts. We always love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to... Do your duty, do the right thing, even though it's tough. We will all be doing the same thing right along with you. And last but not least, you can email me. I'll give you the name of the spitball guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Krishna. Jesse Krishna. <laughs> I will. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but tell me who it is. I will. I'm going to stop recording now. Vasudeva Sutam Devam Kansujanura Mardanam 
Accidentally out him on our podcast. Oops, did I do that? <laughs> did I do that?